I found myself a little like apprehensive about this episode in the sense that like, how do you talk about this stuff in a way that conveys the severity of the issue, the tragedy, the, the, the just complete devastation, and yet try to somehow honor the black humor, the, the, the sardonic, the, 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 the laughter that this book does elicit. Um, as it's like having fun in this just awful place. Um, and it's hard to talk about it in a way I think that can achieve both of those things. I don't want to come off the wrong way yet. I want to also honor the material in the way that I think it's intended to be, mm-hmm. to be read. Welcome, friends, to episode 281 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm writer Luke Elliott. And I'm filmmaker James Bailey. And this week we discuss Irvine Welsh's 1993 novel, Train Spotting. All right, James, this one was, uh, this one was a trip to read. Uh, unintended. Unintended. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, also, this morning, so I, re- I was like, having a marathon read last night, left the book out on my uh, coffee table. Mm-hmm. This morning, my dog decided she was going to take her revenge on the book, um, which oh, I don't no. know if you can see on the camera, but it's got it's got some teeth marks on it. Um, it was able to get it out of her mouth, but uh, I feel like that was her taking revenge on the fact that there are some unfortunate dog scenes in this book. Oh, yeah, very true. <laughs> yeah, I'm bummed. I just got the book a couple days ago. It was brand new, and now it's like already been chewed on by a dog. <laughs> and she doesn't chew books very often at all, so this was kind of a weird thing. Like I felt comfortable leaving it there, not thinking it was going to be a problem. Wow. Yeah, this it was a journey. Like to that's that's the nicest way of putting it. I mean, it it's there's so much sadness in this book, yeah. like so much uh that's difficult to read and then there's just like the most batshit crazy things you've ever read. It's like funny in yeah. that dark way. It's dark humor for sure because it's like it's so tragic on one hand, but at the same time like it's clearly being played for like a dark humor. Yeah. So I think it's wrong to read this book and not laugh at all. Like, I think you kind of have to. I think that's the point. Um, but yeah, it is like a weird push and pull. There's so much to get into. First off, I just want to thank our patrons for voting for this. This was our third project of the year that is voted on exclusively by our patrons. Um, this one, this is an interesting one. And I'm, I'm, you know, hopefully we could deliver on whatever it is people want from us for a project like this. Uh, maybe the main thing is just for us to react to this language, because I think that's a, a big topic of discussion when it comes to this book. Um, I posted some of it to our Instagram. It's uh, it feels like you're not reading English when you open this book up. There was a major adjustment period. Maybe it took me half the book until I kind of uh, learned a trick. And I'll tell you tell you what mine was. I'm the type of reader that as I'm reading a sentence, I need to know what that sentence fully means before I move on to the next sentence. And once I taught myself to continue reading, even though I maybe didn't fully understand what was happening, the next few sentences would inform sort of my context to understand the full context of what's happening in the scenes. Yeah, he often did that. I I don't know that he always did that. Sometimes I felt like I was just dangling in the wind, you know, like I would not claim to have understood all of this book. No, there is there are lots of sequences and, and passages where I'm like, I have no fucking idea what this means. And um, I thought it was funny uh, that it actually has a glossary in the back, mm-hmm. like it's an epic fantasy full <laughs> of like, n- you know, all these terms of like, we got to we got to tell you what all these different terms mean. But instead, it's just like this, the Scottish 
uh, dialogue, the Scottish um, dialect, yeah. and and helping you translate a little bit. Now, it, it's not that extensive a glossary, and it only covers like certain things. But there was a, a few big ones that I'm glad I I looked up at the end, like Ken. Um, was it like say there's like a few mm-hmm. things like that that I like looking at the end helped me figure out okay this is basically what this means because those show up a ton and if you have no idea what that means you're gonna it, it can be tough this this book never went to the lengths of I've seen video of Scottish people speaking like in the countryside mm-hmm. and it is I cannot interpret what they're saying even though they are speaking the same language but yeah. I think watching films from these I've seen quite a few Scottish films and there is even like certain accents of like British that that I think that he was trying to give examples of in this. He was he had he had people speaking in certain dialects yeah. uh, that I think it made it a little easier for me to bridge the gap some of the time, knowing like a little bit of the slang. But then there were other times where it was just like that. I have no context for what that. And and I think honestly, part of it is this is such a Scottish book that you had to be there. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like it's not necessarily for you to get every reference in this. You know, and that's I, but I think that's part of the appeal of the book. Um, so the trick I'll give that that worked for me, um, in case our, our listeners are are wanting to try and tackle this book, um, I listened to the audio book while reading the while reading the text. Oh, so and, yeah, so did I. Yeah. yeah, it it worked both ways because it was like when you're watching a movie and you want subtitles on. So I'm listening to it being read, and I want to like see the text of what's what I'm hearing. But then the other way around, too, of like, I can read what this what this says, but if I don't hear how it's supposed to sound, then then a lot of the context gets lost, too. So whenever I would try and do one or the other, like, oh, I need to go take the dogs on a walk. I'll just listen. That was the parts where I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to have to go back and sit back down and start over because yeah. that whole section I had. I couldn't just listen to it like I had to have both. I will cop to the fact that there are times that I can bump a book and I never go further than like 1.3 or so 1.2 1.3 times speed yeah uh, and typically if I'm if I'm reading for enjoyment and I don't have a deadline I'll read at one time speed but there's no such thing as, as listening to this in any sort of in any sort of accelerated speed just because it's already difficult to grasp at least from you know our yeah. dialect it's tough man yeah you got to do what you got to do we had a we had a compressed time frame here a little bit but yeah, we um, read this in a weekend for the yeah kind of like if couple it, days yeah just a few days um I would like to have tackled it differently because I wanted to sit with each of the sections a yeah. little more because it, it's very disjointed and, yeah. and the way that it, the story's doled out to you. It's nonlinear and it's also got like uh, many different POVs. So you're kind of jumping around quite a bit. Let's talk a little bit about that structure because it is very interesting. Um, it was reminding me of Jesus's son, another book we've covered. Yeah, totally. Um, that deals with addiction too. Yep. Reminds me a little bit of Fight Club, um, and I was starting to think about it. I'm like, this is a this is like a form that a lot of literary books love, and it's this like it's kind of these loosely interconnected short stories with a bunch of different characters. I think the literary writer likes to leave interpretation more ambiguous, so because it's up to us to decide why it's put together in this way, what each piece means in relation to the whole it doesn't follow a novel structure expected structure that structure that you might get from a novel it eschews all of that and instead replaces it with just like a loose collections of things that happen mm-hmm. and um, because of that it forces a lot of interpretation onto the onto the reader just trying to figure out what the hell this all means which is definitely the kind of the where i was at as i was reading it i'm like what is the point of all of this there's no real discernible plot random shit keeps happening 
we're bouncing around to different characters. And then I think his he makes a few decisions here that are both like the appeal of the book, but also a lot of people are going to bounce hard off of this mm-hmm. because um, it's stream of consciousness for most of the book. It's um, heavy dialect and we don't get really anything to help us. We're just in it and um, experiencing these thoughts with these different characters. And most of the time it's in first person. I was about to say this. Yeah. From a point of view of a character that then it'll go into the next section. It'll still be in first person, but it'll be a new character. And it won't like tell you that it's difficult. You just have to, to figure it out from context clues as you're in a stream of consciousness, heavy dialect. You know, it, it, this is yeah. a tough read for that reason. It was. And I, that, that was something that was striking me so much as every time a chapter would end, you would get the revelation of why this story was even being told to you. So like a lot, a lot of times, like starting, starting of each section, you'd be like, okay, you know, getting into it, you get a name. So you kind of figure out who's, whose perspective you're in. And then you're like, why, what's the point of this? Why are we getting this? Like either like tragic story, disgusting story, like, um, you know, sometimes story of people, you know, banding together, things like that. But ultimately, it's not until like the punchline almost at the end of each section that you're like, oh, okay, in the greater context of of this kind of subculture and these people and this group of people, uh, you, you like slot those puzzle pieces in at the end. And and I think ultimately, it's like you try and figure out like, why did Irvine Welsh write this book? And what was the, what was he trying to do here? I, I definitely think he was trying to capture a culture, capture a moment in time, and a group of people that he was a part of, at least for a time in his life. Oh, wow. I was curious. Yeah. Which we'll get into a little bit about his biography. But like, yeah, this is this is a world he's from. Mm. And I think that authenticity really comes across. And one little bit of writing advice I would give to people just and, and you know, you can take this with a grain of salt, but just something that I've heard a lot is that usually dialect is something you want to be very careful with and you want to try and do only a few, like maybe a word or two here or there per sentence to try and indicate an accent. Um, and you can maybe, you know, screw with the spelling of a word to make it phonetic um, a little bit here or there. But you need to be very careful, especially if you're describing cultures that aren't your own, especially as a white author. Mm-hmm. This can be, this is just not a good look and it can be very racist very quickly. Um, so what I think is good about this is that he's from this culture. He's from this part of Scotland and this subculture, and he's writing it with a sense of authenticity. So he's doing it phonetically, which is one of the things that makes it very hard to read. Um, So even if they're saying a word that is a word we all share, he might spell it differently to indicate that they have an accent. Um, And that kind of stuff is is where it can can get kind of tricky. And I've seen many, not many, I would say, I've seen a few authors attempt this for cultures that are not their own. And boy, is it cringy when you read it. Um, so I would just caution you to be careful. If you're going to try and do phonetic spelling out of dialect, make sure it is from a culture that you are intimately familiar with and feel positioned to try and do that with. And even still, you got to be really careful. I think it's really interesting to hear that Irvine Welsh is from this, this culture and from, sounds like he's dealt with, he knows people or has dealt with addiction because he was addicted to heroin for 18 months. I read. Wow. Yeah, it's a group of people that their story doesn't often get told. There's often tragic endings. Um, there are sometimes that people are able to, to you know, fight addiction. And, and But ultimately, it's something they live with forever. And I think it's a, it's a group of people that are written off by society often. 
and he's like capturing that in this especially and i would say maybe maybe it's getting a little better these days but in the 80s in scotland it sounds like with you know they had a lot of political turmoil that they were going through in addition to you know some of these people dealing with heroin addictions and things like that uh and just how like disillusioned they could feel and and then ultimately they become addicts and there's maybe not programs to help them and they end up in really bad scenarios and it's this cycle that they can't get out of um and you know hearing it from someone like this gives such a raw perspective and it can be tough to look at at times just based on what we just read and you know it's it depends heavily on who you are as you as you're you know coming to this piece of art because uh, Irvine Welsh has talked about this how he wrote it in his own words to talk about sort of the horrors of addiction and the way it ruins people's lives and to be like this cautionary tale um but i mean like he says that but also these he's the characters are funny many of the times you find yourself like identifying with them and laughing along with them and maybe that's just an attempt to humanize them which is yeah. is understandable but what happens is the book becomes immensely popular and becomes a cult classic among these communities that are being described. And it becomes a call to say, fuck it. Let's all do heroin. Um, it's really? because it's because it becomes kind of the, you can show on paper that this happened. Like, well, he's talked about it. I'm going off of the interviews. You know, I, I haven't done like my, my deep dives. Let me, let me give you the quote about it. So I'm not misrepresenting what he said. So he did this uh, article, uh, this interview with the guardian, so the article says, 30 years after Trainspotting was first published, the book's message has turned full circle, says Irvine Welsh, and might now well be, quote, choose drugs. The horrible thing is that Trainspotting was supposed to be a cautionary tale in some ways. But now, 30 years on, you can't really see it that way anymore. You can't really say to kids in, in the schemes, which are Scottish council estates, don't do drugs. It'll, it'll wreck your life. You'll never get a job or a house or buy nice things. Now, says Welsh, the notion of being able to choose those things has been taken away. In 2023, the book has a, quote, different context, he says. People can't get jobs. People will never buy a house. They can't buy nice things. Everything is fucked, even if you're not on drugs, he says. It, the book, has become a kind of inspiring clarion call. Let's do fucking drugs, man. We're fucked anyway. Let's just go for it. Uh, He goes on to say that he was writing about things that we didn't have a label for back then, like toxic masculinity, existential crises, mental health. And he says, what's really different today? Uh, Is it any wonder that people don't really know what their place is in the world? Capitalism is on the way out, but we're not mature enough for socialism. And instead, we're sleepwalking towards some kind of fascistic model and pretty much everything is toxic. I am super curious about saying let's all do drugs because I, I'm. Well, I, I think he's saying that yeah. like that's the message of the book now. Is I'm not it, saying right. that he necessarily yeah. like wants it to be that. It's like it's out of his control now. Like he published this book in the 90s. He's, I think he's just reacting to like what it's become hmm. because especially with the movie, which we'll get into next week, it got hugely popular. It's what he's most known for. He's written a lot of other books, which we'll talk about. And we'll talk about some of the other ones that he is well, like also well known for. But this is his main one, right? This is his legacy. And this is something that he put out when he was young. And now he's in his 60s and looking back at it and talking about like how it's still treated today. Yeah. And I, I understand like the anti-establishment the almost like anarchist anarchist lifestyle that they're living yeah 
and I understand, especially in like the eighties and nineties, that that being very appealing, and you see that in a lot of the uh, media of the time. I classify drugs like heroin in a different category. I think, to, yeah, you know, and, and because it destroys life, lives. life ruiners. Yeah, yeah, and and there are <laughs> yeah. other drugs. There are plenty out there. We know, you know, yeah. everyone knows what they are. It's tragic that it is an escape for people, and it, and you know, it becomes this. Like I said, it's it typically has tragic endings, whether it's yeah. death or things that people have gone through. Um, so it's just, I, th I think the book has always been kind of a, like, this is what is happening. Like, I don't mm -hmm. think he's trying to like morally judge, not directly. I don't think he's trying to directly morally judge a society that has led to this situation, but I think that's all, that's all implied in, or it's like the subtext. If you want to bring it to it as you're reading it, but he wants to give you an impartial look at this subculture, yeah. these people, how they live. I think this is a very misunderstood group of people right like sure. and, and outside of just scotland at the in that era like there are there are people who are drug addiction drug addicted and struggle to have housing and um you know get involved in crime and live short lives get you know diseases that kind of stuff happens all over the place it's totally. a lot of the people that like society has left behind he wanted to shine a light on that and then and show it in a truthful way i think and show that show some of the appeal of it. I think he tries to show like why this happens and why people are attracted to this. But then I think the fact that he does it to me is an artistic statement that has a meaning behind it, which is maybe this isn't a great thing, but he just wants to show it, I think. And then it's up to us to decide what message to attach to it. Totally. That's all. That's any piece of genuine art too like that yeah. that happens i i just think it's interesting now 30 years on for him to, to to look back and say like you know now it's a rallying cry whereas yeah. before it was just this like look into what this is like which i'm completely for i think like showing this unflinching look is is like a, a cautionary tale and it and it and i think in a lot of ways it 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 peeks behind the curtain at like the good things, the bad things, the good people who turn bad, the bad people who are good, you know, like to, to put, uh, you know, to characterize people like that. But I think that ultimately he now reacting to it and seeing that's just a sad state of affairs is what I would say. Like, of course, he's reacting to it and it's yeah. out of his control now. He's also making a commentary about where we are politically in the totally. world and in his country. Yeah. Um, and actually, he lives in America now from what I read, um, as far as I know. So everywhere i think <laughs> um but he um i think yeah i think the reason he's saying that is like we haven't gotten any better and in fact things are worse in many ways so like you can't blame people for mm -hmm. turning to drugs when life is so shitty and we're doing so little to help people and it's like yeah it is awful and like what are we going to do about it you know totally yeah <laughs> i mean it's it's tough when your cautionary tale becomes true and then you're like you know well fuck. we've talked we've talked about this with other stuff right like fight club and like there's other places where it's like sometimes the message that is intended is not always the message that's received mm -hmm. and as writers and artists like you can't always control that and then how do you engage with the legacy of the art becomes an interesting question for you as a as an artist going forward in your career do you lean into misinterpretations of your work? Do you do you continue to push for what you were originally intending? Do you do you leave it open to where it's just the interpretation is what it is, and I'm not going to try and massage it in any particular direction? We should be so lucky to have an impact like this. But you know, if you do get to that point where you do, I think these are decisions you have to make. Every time you give an interview or talk about it, how are you going to talk about it? Are you going to try and say people are misinterpreting my work? They should be looking at it this way, or are you just going to be like, you know, this is what's happening? I don't know. So it's also uh, this book, I think the most profane 
novel I've ever read. I'm pretty sure word for word, like pr profanity count wise, yeah. this one has to be the most. I can't imagine a novel, definitely the most I've read. It's got to be up there as the most like, like big books ever published. Interesting too, because like I said, watching material from these countries, from Scotland specifically, there are people who talk like this. And, of course. Uh, and, and so it's like, it's not even like, I think some of the time you look at like a Wolf of Wall Street and you're like, oh, it's got the most curses in it. But like, those are like artificially put in because like that's, you know, that's kind of how people talk there as well. But we're talking about like, it's just like a part of the, like specifically yeah. words that we won't even say in the States because of certain, <laughs> yeah. just like come off the tongue as like a, hey dude. You know what yeah, I mean? like, yeah, exactly. And I think that's so, part of the point of it is just like the versatility of these terms, the yeah. ubiquity of them and that, and that, you know, culture and that, that place and time. And like, I, it, I don't mind it. You know, I, I'm, I, in fact, I, I have a lot of profanity in the novel I'm writing now. And I'm, I, I'm always looking at it and going like, am I, am I, am I doing too, like, I have characters who curse a lot. And I'm like, are they cursing too much? Yeah. Is it too, is it too like attention grabby? And then like, I read this and I'm like, well, maybe not. Because <laughs> yeah. it, it reminds you that people who genuinely curse a shitload, curse a shitload. <laughs> they, they will do it a lot. Um, I was thinking about Hard Knocks. I'm watching a little bit of Hard Knocks right now. And like, I think it's like Sala, the the head coach, he drops F-bombs every other fucking word. <laughs> like it's, it's a lot. And so like some people are just like that. And I don't know what this says about me, but I find that like I can control it in like almost every professional setting. And then if yeah. I'm like together with family or friends or whoever, there are people in my life that are like, you, you curse like a lot and i'm like well i'm an adult and i can do whatever i want yeah, <laughs> yeah. but i you know it's it's interesting to, to sort of like think about how much people you curse i don't know it's yeah. never something i think i might lean on it as a crutch sometimes honestly yeah. like i just say fucking this and fuck yeah. that and da, da, da. i don't know it, it's a crutch i mean it's it's i think it's it's like fuck. a speech thing for me it's like i'll say fucking or i'll say fuck, fuck, fuck or, is is such a amazing word because it has so many different meanings it, it's such a it's like the best word for emphasis that there exists in the language. Yeah. Um, so it's just, yeah, I mean, I, I love it. That, there's a reason we'd use the explicit tag, you know? Yeah. Um, as much as it might be better for us to not, like, we, we just feel like, yeah, I want to be able to say fuck if I want to say fuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, let's get into Irvine Welsh a little bit more as a person. Um, he was born in Leith uh, in, in Edinburgh. Uh, he states that he was born in 1958, although according to Glasgow police, his birth record is actually 1951. So I like that there's a little bit of a discrepancy <laughs> about how old he actually is. Nice. Um, Rebel from the start. Yeah, he, he, he grew up in local housing schemes. His mother worked as a waitress. His father's a dock worker. Um, his father would eventually die when Welsh was 25. He would work a number of different odd jobs, um, dropped out of school would later join the London punk scene in 1978 where he played guitar and sang in the Pubic Lice and Stairway 13, which I think are two different bands, a series of arrests for petty crimes, and finally a suspended sentence for trashing a North London community center inspired Welsh to correct his ways. Um, he would go on to work for the Hackney Council in London and studied computing and uh, the support of Manpower Services Commission. So I think he worked a lot with this like housing stuff when I was reading, and he, he was on different councils later in life. In his early 20s, uh, while we were talking about that period um, when he was in London, he was addicted to heroin. His writing career is also an interesting one. Um, it's a couple other books that you may, we, you may be familiar with, um, and actually potential other adaptations that we cover. Do you remember the film Filth that came out in 1998? Uh, I don't think I don't I've think ever so. seen it. 
Yeah, I don't think um, so. Apparently, it's about a corrupt police officer and his tapeworm. And apparently, <laughs> the tapeworm is one of the narrators of the book. <laughs> Sweet. That sounds awesome. <laughs> um, and apparently, it got adapted into the, uh, a novel of the same name. Oh, it was tw- 2013. Okay, so the, the book was 1998. The film was 2013. Oh, wow. Okay. And another interesting thing about his writing is a lot of these characters from Train Spotting actually show up in other books. And it's kind of a extended universe situation. Cool. Um, he wrote a book called Glue in 2001, in which he returns to the locations, themes, and episodic form of Train Spotting, telling stories of four different characters spanning several decades of their lives and what held them together. Um, having revisited some of them and passing in Glue, Welsh brought back most of the Train Spotting characters for a sequel called Porno in 2002. In this book, Welsh explores the impact of pornography on the individuals involved in producing it, as well as society as a whole, and the impact of aging and maturity in individuals against their will. The book is set just after the opening of New Scottish Parliament. Welsh's prequel to Train Spotting, titled Skag Boys, was published in 2012. And it's set in Leith in the early 1980s. It introduces the Train Spotting characters and follows them as they fall into heroin addiction. Given as a series of linked short stories, the book is also interspersed with brief commentaries on uh, contemporary British politics. In particular, the consequences of the destruction of industry in the northern cities are drawn for the young working class. Um, He even goes back to it again. 2016, Welsh's 10th novel, The Blade Artist, centers around a seemingly rehabilitated Francis Begbie, now living in California with with a wife and children. Uh, It was shortlisted for fiction book of the year, uh, for Saltire Literary Awards in 2016. So, uh, you know, even like getting a nomination for, for this book about Begbie <laughs> of all characters. Wow, um, Begbie. So yeah, he's, he's circled back to some of these guys. I'm assuming from those other materials, because I know there's a train spotting too that came out fairly, I think that's, you know, 10 years yeah, ago or so. I assume based off of some of this stuff. So, I mean, possibly returning to these characters at some point. If we yeah, or, or like a bonus episode, maybe. Um, definitely definitely in- interested. You know, it's an interesting career, right? And And he's... Clearly got a bit of that, like, Chuck Palahniuk shock and awe kind of writing. Like, there's a bit of, like, a let's see what I can get away with. Um, and because of that, I think these figures can take on sort of a rock star status in the literary community. But they're also seen as kind of literary outsiders because they don't fit the neat, like, academic formula that we often see like it's not really going to be something that a lot of people in polite society are going to be wanting to read and discuss with their friends <laughs> um you know not, not to say that could never happen but um in general right and so because of that i was reading um i was like what was the what was the sort of legacy of this book when it came out train spotting was long listed for the 1993 booker prize which is like a really big deal in in, in uh the literary world but it was apparently rejected for the shortlist after, quote, offending the sensibilities of two judges. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. yeah, that's the kind of reputation this book has, right? Like, it's like, oh, this book's, you know, got a lot of merit and it's an interesting literary work and it's going to be nominated for a, a prize. But then some of the judges are going to say, nope, due to yeah. the, the material itself being too objectionable. I feel like uh, a lot of this, and I don't know exactly, I'm not a... I don't know, sociologist, but a lot of this was going on in like the 80s and then became very popular in media in the 90s. So we see a lot of, I think, reaction to this kind of stuff in the 90s and things that were released in the 90s. Um, and yeah, it does feel like of a kind with some of the, some, some other things that we've covered, like Fight Club or I don't know when Jesus' Son came Jesus out. Jesus' Son, yeah. Some, somewhere, I think it was like in the that. 90s as well, if I remember correctly. Maybe I'm off. Maybe it was early 2000s. Yeah. Not, not sure. But um, yeah, I would just say that he's also been called 
um, by the Sunday Times as the quote voice of punk, grown up, grown wiser, and grown eloquent. So That's I think cool. I like in that. particular punk rock, um, this is a punk rock writer, and he's talking about this life, and he's talking about you know the the dark underbelly of it in some ways, and and, and trying to show that to the world. I mean, like still, punk rock is one of my favorite genres of music, and I like I've always love what it stands for and, and all that kind of stuff but then you know it, there's it's such an interesting genre because if anything gets popular and it's no longer underground then it's like are you even punk anymore yeah and it's it's interesting to see like a punk writer have like this massive successful novel and how like the punk scene probably looks the the true quote-unquote punk scene probably sees something like this um, yeah i don't know because it's it's a novel right so the punk scene probably isn't as dialed into the literary world and as much as he, yeah, he had success. He says he's sold over a million copies in the UK. Um, it's been translated into 30 languages, which I thought was interesting. So I'm like trying to tr translate this stuff must be a real challenge. Yeah. Um, I think it is still kind of a punk book, right? Like, you know, it's like, it's still not popular in the way as like actual huge best-selling books are. Like it's still a little yeah. bit underground. I, I bet it's still, it's still hailed as, as, you know, one of the one of the favorites of that subculture would be mm. my guess. Even after an adaptation, yeah, if you're I a member know. of this subculture and you think this book's you know played or whatever, let us know. I guess, but yeah, <laughs> yeah the adaptations also was was pretty popular. But again, it's kind of a cult movie, from what I understand. Um, yeah, kind of. I think yeah. uh, whether it you know it's hard to say something's still underground as time goes on too. Like for the time period when this came out, clearly these people were offended. He didn't get on the certain short lists because, you know, or the long list because of the content. So it was yeah. pretty anti-norm at the time. So Yeah. So I'm going to move through the plot here in three chunks. Uh, I was telling you before we got on, I found some much longer summaries that actually get into every single thing that happens. It's too much. Too much to read through. I don't think people want to hear it. So this is going to do a very brief overview, but then we can talk a little more about parts that yeah. stood out for us i think uh, if i calculated right there's like 25 different vignettes or so because there's like four or five per section there's like seven sections yeah. six or seven that sounds right oh that also reminds me so we talked about the point of view and how it's often the stream of consciousness first person and then it occasionally will go into this omniscient point of view and it'll have a narration that isn't written in that like that dialect and is written in like more, I don't know, conversational English, you might call it. And um, but then occasionally we'll like dip into the heads of different characters. I really like those sections because it felt like I could breathe for a second and like I could <laughs> kind of get a moment to like look at this situation from that omniscient point of view. It was almost like God looking down at it <laughs> and like or, or even just like Welsh, the author, like kind of telling what's happening versus like letting us try and read between the lines as we're like just steeped in some person's like adult brain mm -hmm. um <laughs> so i like those moments but again it was just weird or like it, we, we'd pop in and out of them and like then the next section we'd go right back into first person stream of consciousness yeah very experimental i feel like right like, yeah. I, I think this is the kind of thing that has to be difficult to pull off like you know being somebody who's querying a novel i'm sure that it would be harder to sell this to a publisher if because of how experimental it is in the ways that it's breaking conventions how you know how did this book ever get published yeah i mean so i can't I, I, yeah because i'm querying a book right now but my book is is a sci-fi novel right it's it's, right. it's in a genre in theory literary books are not in a genre now i don't think that's always true because literary has its own hallmarks its own trappings of genre but one of the things that is a trapping of genre is to be 
form breaking is to be different and difference is kind of more important than anything else. So that's so highly interpretive. It's got to be maddening because you just got to find somebody who gets what you're doing and likes it and is willing to publish it and is willing to take a chance on it. So often people try stuff, you know, and it, it they can't ever find somebody who understands what they're trying to do and it just never works, you know? Like it, it's, it is kind of amazing that this book got published in the way, in the way it did. Um, I think it's a testament to whoever took the risk on it because it's a wild book and it's, it seems like to me, like it's often deliberately confusing and, and it does so much to like throw you off of, you know, understanding what's going on, but that's also part of the appeal of it. I, I do think there's a beauty when you can really capture a language and you can capture a dialect um, and you can do it phonetically like he does um, with care. There's a beauty to it, honestly, that, that um, it's, it's loving in a way, even, even as it's so ridiculous, you know what they're saying. And we've talked about how this book is, it's kind of a difficult read. There's some things that are, that are just absolutely crazy in, in terms of like subject matter. Yeah. But I found this to be really fascinating and engaging too at the same time. Um, it, it really was uh, exciting, you know, even though it was, there was often things going on that I was like, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about some of those things. Okay. So I'm going to go through into summary now. The narrative of train spotting cycles through a number of different users, pushers, scam artists, and general hooligans, particularly a group of five addicts. The novel focuses primarily on Mark Renton, a leaf heroin addict who intermittently tries to kick the junk. He and his fellow addict, Spud, defraud the government of unemployment benefits to fund their habit. They have a mate called Simon Sickboy Williamson, a charming sometimes pimp. His illegitimate daughter dies in a crib death early in the novel. They also have several non-addict friends, Tommy, a sex-obsessed innocent, Davey, a service worker, and Begbie, an alcoholic sociopath. Uh, so let's stop there. This is just like literally introducing some of the main characters, but I, I think it's worth kind of talking about them in turn. <laughs> uh, and they, they run together sometimes in this book because, again, you get thrown into their point of views, and it's first person, and they all talk in a similar way. So it can take a little bit to even figure out whose point of view you're reading sometimes. Well, and not to mention every character has like three names also. That's true because they all have like multiple nicknames and depending yeah. on who they're talking to, we'll be referring to them by different names. Yeah. So I kind of assumed there were things that I remembered from the movie. Um, the baby being one, Dawn, the baby stuff yeah. and the scene that happens with the baby on the ceiling. But I kind of had forgotten how every character has moments of being detestable. Oh, and yeah. I was like pulling for different characters at different times. And he kept lulling me into a false sense of security where I'm like, this is overall a good person. They're yeah, just, like, this, you know, this is the one I like. This is the good yeah. one. Yeah. And then they do something. I mean, maybe just, I will say maybe Spud. He's the one that's, I think, the most redeemable to me. But, but because he's so like kind of naive and, and um, gullible, he goes along with some terrible things. Definitely goes along with terrible things. He's not the one perpetrating them as much as the sure. other characters. As much yeah. as I wanted to like rent, like th that guy also was fucked up in many ways and, and did some really fucked up stuff. And sick boy, I was like, man, this guy, <laughs> he was really tough to read about. Uh, he was awful in many ways. He's not completely irredeemable. Like occasionally he does stuff that, that makes you kind of like him. But man, he does some really heinous shit. One of the most interesting things with sick boy is when uh, it's implied that Dawn is his child um, and the baby dies from what 
can be crib considered death neglect or, or, yeah, or neglect. Crib death or something. It's something because he's like uh, he's him and the mother. Um, I think Leslie was who it was. Are are you know out of their mind on heroin when right. the baby dies. So so the baby dies and it's super sad. Um, yeah. And he there's like the moment where he is dealing with it and you see like the humanity in him even through the addiction. There's so much tragedy in this book, right? Like yeah. time and again, it's like they are playing the heaviest of prices for this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And yet they that seems to them to be the only path. Well, that's found... one of the messages I kept I kept like coming back from is like the fact that they feel like this is this is fulfilling in any way and that this is that this is a way to live really speaks to just how awful their lives are. I, I found it pretty poignant when at one point somebody said that it, the heroin makes their lives easier because it's the only thing they have to worry about. They don't have to worry about anything else in their lives other yeah. than getting the, the getting your next hit will be the, is the only thing you will care about at yeah. that point. Yeah. So it's like they're perceiving it as like an easier lifestyle because they're like they'll beg, steal and borrow to to get their next hit. And as long as they're able to figure that out, whether it's, you know, defrauding the, the w- w- welfare yeah. thing that we learn about or stealing from someone, a relative, or just getting lucky. And that's somebody... like stuff they all do too. Right. Right. Like, they're all, they're all up to that kind of shit. Yeah. Rent boy. One of the first scenes we get is with him, like putting this, uh, it's like speed or something up his ass. And then he like, Oh yeah. The suppository, the yeah. whole bathroom sequence, which I was, gets I think real it was, uh, grody. Opium, opium, suppository. opium. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Um, and it's like, he's trying to come off of the heroin and this is what he's doing instead. And the kind of, the kind of stuff it's like, you, you can have no more like, I don't know, like pride. <laughs> it's like, it's all just gone. You're just like reduced to this state. Um, but but trying to live but it's also darkly funny right like these scenarios are so ridiculous that he you know he gets into it's hard not yeah. to laugh at it too i i mean i was laughing pretty pretty fre- yeah. frequently it just also thinking about putting yourself in that perspective it doesn't make sense unless you're probably an addict or yeah. you, you know you have something like this going on because yeah just grotesque stuff and then like yeah. irredeemable things like you know what the thing that really changed rent boy for me was when he quote unquote accidentally slept with a 14 year old child. Yeah. Uh, we're about to get to that part here in the summary. So maybe they'll hop into that. Yeah. So Tommy's girlfriend breaks up with him and he is soon doing heroin as a way to cope. Meanwhile, Begbie is annoyed that his girl has gotten pregnant and he rarely has to see her. And he is often out of town running drugs in London written ter- temporarily off junk accidentally quote unquote sleeps with a 14 year old girl thinking she is an adult. Soon he and Spud relapse and are caught stealing books to fund their habit. Spud goes to jail and Ritten at- attempts methadone treatment. He re- he relapses again and overdoses and his parents force him to quit cold turkey. This covers so much that happens in the book. Again, this, yeah. this summary is just kind of going over a lot of things. But yeah, you want to talk about that part? Well, yeah, I'd like to talk about that. But first, I also, before I forget, want to talk about the larger situation that the country finds itself in and not being an expert on the history of all the things that are going on. I felt like I was missing out on some of the like cultural yeah. metaphor that's being made at times. Well, and Renton like occasionally engages in like pretty high level political debates with people. And like he's into yeah. philosophy. He's the one who definitely seems like the smartest. He's 
he's read a bunch of stuff. Like one time someone tries to like quiz him on Kierkegaard. So he says yeah, that, like, he stole the book because he, 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 he likes it. And he's like, he just starts going off about, about it and why it's interesting to him. And to, so, so much for that. He realizes that he's going to come off like a smart ass and get himself in trouble. Yep. Um, yeah. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to like him more. Cause I, I don't know. I always, I feel like I identify with characters like that, but then he does enough reprehensible shit to where it became tough, but he kind of is the main character. He's the one we return to the most. Definitely. Yeah. I, I liked the fact that the, the book was engaging on that level as well, right? Like you think, oh, it's a, it's a story about addicts on the surface and it's just going to be like detestable things. But like there's there's commentary being made in each section. Like it's not just for the sake of the shock factor. Um, yeah. So I appreciate that. But yeah, to get back to him sleeping with this child, he like meets it's her. It's weird, a, man. It's a, a weird section and... because we're in his point of view the whole time. And like. So if we're to believe what we're reading, which I think we are because we're so close to his perspective, right? Like this is stream of consciousness from a first person point of view are at least true to his conception. So like, right. I, according to what I read, he didn't realize, but that's he was all also I can high. say, but, but he was also of high. course, yes, for, there were all the reasons why he didn't re- realize, but yes, um, fucked up sequence there's just like and that's one of those things like that section there's so many times where i'm reading this and i'm going like he's just pushing the envelope on like what he can get away with let's talk about the dog too right um i think it's begbie right or is it no that's sick boy um that's 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 kind of the part where i was done with sick boy uh and and i was like there's no redeeming this character for me anymore yeah he's already like using drugs to loop i'm convinced that's why that's why nim chewed up my book by the way this scene yeah, <laughs> he, he's already a terrible character because he's luring women with drugs into like sex, like being a sex worker. It's interesting. And... He's just like, yes, because he, he kind of becomes like a pimp, essentially. Yeah. Um, but he also is like just such the 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 ladies man throughout the book. And it's a lot of other characters look at him and are like, I, I don't know how he does it. He just like is always hooking up with random women. And that's just like what he's good at. And like there are people like that. So you kind of get it. I don't know. Like I kind of believe it. Um, but then like, yeah, he's, he's one of the worst people too, on top of that. Yeah. The, the dog sequence, he just, for, for almost no reason, he, he like shoots a dog with a BB gun or something. Seems like it's some part of a con. Yeah. He's kind of a con man. Um, yeah, he shoots, it's like an air, describes an air gun, but I think it's shooting like a pellet or a BB or something. Yeah. He shoots somebody who's like walking their dog. He shoots their dog so that the dog like flips out and attacks the owner. And then he runs out and like strangles the dog to death and then gets hailed as a hero for doing it by the person who's being attacked yeah by the person who's being attacked and like the police who show up yeah so i guess that's the con i forget if he got like a monetary benefit out of that maybe someone bought him something i can't remember but it just seems to be some sort of con and then also we hear later that both he and rent both just like hate dogs and hate all animal like hate cats they want to kill squirrel at one point that's the one time that like spud is like kind of gets fed up with them he's like why would you kill this fucking squirrel it's not done anything to you like well okay and then that that is actually like interesting metaphor to dawn and like the idea of innocence and loss of innocence because of these characters um and in the way that like spud is understanding like there's no they're not doing it for any reason they're doing it for like the reason is no reason the reason is no reason there it's 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 anarchy and nihilism honestly like it pervades everything here and like that's i think that's one of the crowning achievements of this book as difficult as it is to read is how well it achieves and sort of explains without explaining 
why these people are the way they are, why they think the way they do, why they're willing to do the shit they're willing to do, um, and just how like utterly hopeless they are in their lives. And they're just like seeking. It's all about this like momentary pleasure because everything else is so fucked up that that's like what all life is about anymore. Mm-hmm. And they don't care about the future. They don't care about what it's going to do to them. And even as they know that it might lead to death, because the other thing that we got, we haven't even talked about that like hangs over this entire book is HIV. Yeah. Um, and people are just getting the virus left and right. People are dying. It's something that they're always worried about. And I, you know, this is not something I had a lot of direct tragedies over. It's not like I knew people. It's not like a, something that has affected me directly. But I know people who have been affected directly by HIV, whether or not they had it or they knew someone or they lost someone to it. Right. Um, and it's such a like tragic, horrific period too, because I mean, thankfully now treatments are a lot better. It's, it's, it's so much better now, but for a time, this was so bad. Um, and, and there are multiple communities yeah. too, right? Like we knew the gay community was well, taking massive hits. People, people were getting HIV all over the place, sexually transmitted. Yeah. And then you have drug culture as well, where yeah. people are shooting up and sharing needles and things like that. Well, and he's getting into the, the stigma because there's a huge stigma around it. It was one of the reasons why it took so long for it to be addressed in any, any fashion, because it was considered a disease that only gay people got. Right. If you got it, there was the stigma around it that you must be homosexual and then you know what i mean it became this whole thing and like that's something that goes along a lot in this book of like these guys are are have very toxic views on masculinity and sex and one of the other things that i thought was fairly interesting was sick boy no i'm sorry it was rent boy actually like was questioning his sexuality at times yeah um and how the like he was kind of realizing maybe his sexuality was on a spectrum of some kind that right. he hadn't really addressed and, yeah, and I think which that's, for the, for the 90s yeah. and we're talking like that's pretty yeah yeah and for so for that time I felt like that was a you know a, an interesting angle for him to to approach I don't think he you know I think he kind of ties it into like what would he do for drugs also which is problematic yeah. but I mean you know that's all part fitting the characters I I found myself a little like apprehensive about this episode in the sense that like how do you talk about this stuff in a way that conveys the severity of the issue the tragedy the 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 just complete devastation and yet try to somehow honor the black humor the 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 sardonic the 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 laughter that this book does elicit um as it's like having fun in this just awful place um, and it's hard to talk about it in a way I think that can achieve both of those things. I don't want to come off the wrong way yet. I want to also honor the material in the way that I think it's intended to be, to mm-hmm. be read. It, uh, did elicit quite a, a lot of laughter for me. I think there were, you know, many times like, uh, especially the way that they would like talk to each other and that just the random hijinks that they would get up to. And, and like the schemes often were just like so harebrained. You're like, oh, this is. Oh. This is what you think he's gonna you're yeah. gonna pull this off like for example near the end which we I'm sure we can get into they they like kind of plan a heist or something yeah they plan that's like at a the drug. end here yeah um, I, one part that really made me laugh was they they like I think it's rent and sick boy I might be wrong again a lot of the characters kind of run together sometimes but they 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 apply for these jobs oh my god and so they good. have like a series of interviews and and the one where um, he's saying like 
he's like, what's your, uh, what's your, your one weakness? And he's like, my one weakness, perfectionism. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. That's the ultimate answer. <laughs> too much of a perfectionist. It's like, it's like, that's the, the joke answer, but coming from this character, just, it hits so much better. It's so funny. Yeah. And then there are he, I think yeah. he just admitted that like, he's a dick, he's an addict, addicted to her heroin. And they're like, oh, okay. And what's your, you know, and then he's like, he's like I want to be fully honest with you. I want to be fully yeah. honest. Recovering heroin addict, but I'm also a perfectionist. <laughs> yeah, so funny. Uh, there's another character that I want to address too because it deals with, like we've said, Renton or or Rent Boy is the yeah. is kind of the main character, and he loops in. Now, some they in this your summary earlier, they said something about like some of their friends are not addicts, and I want to also touch on the fact that it's not just heroin in this story yeah. there are other drugs like speed and cocaine and other things like that but also alcohol and, the, yeah. and then they can address this some of the people that are alcoholics and some how in some cases they can be more violent and more irrational yeah. and even than the people who are on heroin totally uh, and I, I think it's doing that for really good you know like on purpose to show that there's all these different things you can be addicted to and i would add in sex to that as we see lots of characters who seem to be addicted to sex Maybe they all are in some way. Yeah. And how much a lot of that fucks up their lives. Just their like constant need, uh, you know, and what they're willing to do. The, the character I specifically want to talk about is Tommy because Tommy starts out yeah. as like Rent Boy's friend who kind of just like falls into the heroin scene because of depression. Yep. Uh, he like goes to a concert rather than going on a date with his girlfriend. She dumps him and then he like asks rent for heroin and then the way that rent sort of throughout the book regrets yeah well because he's like i'll just him. try it i'll just i just want to try it once you know and he tries it once and he and like rent can immediately tell from the way he reacts he's like this guy's this is his whole life now yep and he in some cases because there's an interesting cycle of trying to get sober they do different it's like one really or two of them is constantly like currently off of it and then like the other one is not constantly they're in this group of, of so there that, are times yeah. where like sick boy is sober and somebody will ask him for drugs and he's like i can't get back in the scene i don't want to go yeah. buy drugs for you because then i'll do it and then like i think at, at maddie's funeral eventually tommy is like in the worst scenario and all the rest of them are fairly clean and tommy and they were looking at him thinking like we well we tommy also to he gets hiv right so that's the other thing he's incredibly sick because of that and he gets it from like sharing needles yeah. so rent feels super guilty about that because he basically started him down that path oh the other character i'd love to talk about is uh the davy mitchell character that's kind yeah. of outside of the group has his own story that goes on and yeah. he contracts hiv through sex with a woman yeah. who says that she was raped by a person who had hiv yeah or, i think his know. name's like alvin or something like yeah. that yeah alan sorry alan venters yeah so davy goes and visits this person in in the hospital when they get bad and then has he this whole joins like a like, group he gyms like a group with them that's what it was um, yeah. for and like eventually for like people sick. who have hiv and then alan starts like he goes to hospice because he's like on his deathbed yeah mm -hmm. and then the just the this guy gets like the most fucked up revenge ever yeah just like goes to his family and like like acts like he well, murdered his son he pretends to be friends with him until he can find out like the one thing that the guy likes and it seems to be that he really cares about his like young son and mm -hmm. he's like oh, okay you do have something you care about and like i was convinced he was going to get him infected with hiv oh i, I didn't see. think he was, was going to murder him i thought he was going to like infect him with hiv because that's what eventually happened to him um so i was surprised and then it went this whole like screwdriver like bloody murder thing that he shows the guy pictures of as he's dying um and fucking you know 
has this insane revenge on him of like revealing, I haven't been your friend. In fact, I've been here like learning about you just so I can do this thing and like all that. But then, then it is revealed that that was staged and it wasn't actually a murdering of a five-year-old child, which I was glad to see for once something (laughs) awful didn't actually happen. It was, it was a ruse. Yeah. Uh, not a not an addict, by the way, just a person who yeah. was was related to their group and knew of the addicts and kind of they talk about how some of some of the people in these groups, the ones that are addicts look down, they, they because of the time period, they look down on gay people. And then the people who had HIV in the group that were gay would look down on the drug addicts. Yeah. And so there was like a, a whole thing going on there. And then Davey. You well, know, and then man. people like feeling resentful of those who who got it and then or, uh, who didn't get it d- despite doing like way more drugs and having way more sex than them. And they're like, that guy somehow never got it. Yet I mm-hmm. did, you know, from like this one time. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's showing also just the, like it's not just the like addicts. Right. Um, but everybody they touch gets drawn into this um, this world and, and this sort of destruction as we see their parents are often, you know, drawn into it. Um, you know, people's lives just get ruined. And um, I think it's Rents who's like both of his brothers die. Um, yeah. One one brother was like disabled and died earlier, but then his other brother gets killed. Uh, which I think we're about to talk about here um, gets killed in a war. And then he's the like one one kid remaining. And then, you know, he is him. So so it just kind of shows like how awful this is for the parents, too. Um, and it's th- I think that a lot is also talking about like, the political state of Scotland at the time. Right. Well, and, and he went to fight for the British, I believe. His brother yeah, went to fight so, for the British. Yeah, so the other thing is that, uh, yeah, uh, Irvine Welsh is a Scottish, uh, he supports Scottish independence. Sure. And he's big on that. So he's not all about the Britain monarchy. Right. All right, let's Which get to the final, the final section here. Yeah, that does make sense. So not long after Renton gets clean, his brother Billy is killed by an IRA bomb in Ulster. Sick of Scotland, he travels to London, but on a visit home, he becomes involved with an acquaintance called Kelly. While Renton is in London, Davy contracts HIV and hatches a, an elaborate plan to take revenge on the man responsible, eventually killing him. Not long after this, another addict friend of Renton's named Maddie dies. By this time, Renton and Kelly have parted ways, and he soon decides to move back to Leith. Back home and relatively clean, Renton is forced to deal with his past, dropping in on his old dealer, now an amputee, and Tommy, who has contracted HIV and seems likely to die. The novel ends with Begbie arranging a heroin deal in London, earning £16,000 for Renton, Spud, Sick Boy, and himself. Renton steals the cash and flees to Amsterdam, ready to start a new life. Uh, he also mentions that he, he's thinking about sending Spud his cut. Whether or not he actually will, I don't know. But like he, he says that like basically that he's the only one that he regrets stealing from there at the right. end. We've talked about quite a few of these things, but yeah, yeah. this... this uh plan that's begbie by the way we haven't talked a ton about begbie on the yeah. surface maybe the worst of them yeah and he's such an interesting character because it's so true like i love the way he describes like this guy wants to be seen as a hard guy like he wants everyone to be afraid of him and he wants to be known as being dangerous but uh he points out like all all the like truly awful people are his friends and so that he ends up like ganging up with them to like bully his 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 friends and he's like really more than anyone begbie's the one who hurts us more than yeah. anybody who because they, they they they're like i guess we're friends with him because we think he's going to protect us but the opposite ends up happening all the time and I'm, I'm really interested to see that he wrote a freaking novel about the guy later on yeah. um because he seemed like yeah one of the more reprehensible people in the group um 
we got this guy Johnny who was the dealer apparently I think he was the one who was like really good at football and he like potentially could have even gone professional but now he's like posing as this like amputee veteran and getting like people's pity and keeping people's money um but he has he seems to have no like, he's not going anywhere he's just fully in the habit and he's not breaking yeah. it so it's like clearly going to kill him a lot of these characters just seem like they're not going to live for much longer and many of them are basically told are, are dying right now yeah plus um, we get like randomly age. people are ODing they're like oh yeah it was my first OD and like that's another danger it's like yeah the HIV the the crazy things they do when they're high the the fact that they can overdose at any time going to going to jail like Spud yeah. does for just mm -hmm. petty theft um, yeah that, that was interesting too with the judge right like um the judge kind of saw that was the whole Kierkegaard thing, right? Yeah, uh, maybe it was around that time. I think the when judge they were talking I think, was, to the magistrate or something. Yeah, yeah and, and he was worried that because he answered it and knew what it was, he came off as too smart, and he needed to maybe be like sort of like, oh, I don't know what's going on, kind of oblivious. Uh, and for whatever reason, I think the the judge or whoever took a little pity on him. Yeah, gave him more it leeway. seems to th he seems to think that like he's he actually wants to change, whereas he doesn't think Spud will. It's kind of like his weird read on the situation. So he just is like Spud, you're going to jail, and you you can have like much less time. I don't even think it's I don't even know if he has to serve. I forget. But it was just like probation or something. I thought it was six months in jail. Was it in jail? I wasn't yeah, sure, I so. but again, sometimes the exact meaning of these sentences can be lost on me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's interesting, right? Because they have like a party about it. They're like all happy, but then like you know, uh, Spud's mother's there, upset, and like they don't treat her super well. And like you know, Rent is like having sex with his like brother's widow at the funeral. Like the kind of shit that this guy gets up to is insane. Yeah. Like we are, we have glossed over so many of the like particularly awful. ridiculous <laughs> things and awful things that happen in this book. Um, it, it's just like, cause especially out of context, it's just like, wow. But even in context, they're really upsetting. There's the, the, the grotesque, the disgusting, there's like the, when they're high, I think it's interesting to some of the depictions of, of kind of explaining because for us who I don't, I'm never going to do heroin. You probably never will either. Uh, hearing sort of what it's like, <laughs> hearing what it's like and, uh, you know, how intense the euphoria is and, and what it does to you. Uh, like getting those from someone who has done heroin uh, throughout the story, I thought was pretty, pretty interesting. But uh, yeah, so there's like the grotesque things and yeah. then there's like sexual assault and there's, I mean, what other, it's just like, just cruelty Violence. to people in general. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, and that comes back to me of right, ultimately why I think this book really works is because it's coming from this authentic place. And it's speak, it's from someone who knows it. And I think if you're going to try and write a book about a group of people and capture it this starkly, you really need to be enmeshed in it. And I think you need to speak from a place of authenticity. It's This is not something that I think could have been pulled off by somebody who was completely separate from this world, just coming in and like observing. I just don't think it, it would have worked in the way that this does. Yeah, this is such a deep look at it. You could do a, you could do it service. I think you could do the character that's an addict and show some of that kind well, of stuff. But yeah, there's many different degrees, right? Because you can have characters, and I guess that's why I, like I need to be careful how I'm describing it. Like you can have, you can touch on things. You can have characters that are from certain cultures, and I think you can do it well. You can do it research, you know, do your research. But if your whole book is about that place, that group of people. 
-hmm. And the whole point is to like shine the spotlight on it and to show it in a way that is so true. And the truth of that depiction is at the heart of what you're doing. That's when I feel like you should be operating from a place of authenticity, um, personal uh, authenticity to it. Yeah. In my opinion, to now again, this is just an too. opinion, um, yeah. and it's one that I think a lot of people share. But it's art, right? There yeah. are no hard and fast rules that apply it to everything. But that's just where I'm at with it. Yeah. Plus, I feel like you would get sniffed out. Like, like this is like po- like to use I, I a think term. It'll show. Yeah, to to use a term from from you know punk in general. Like, if you if you're a poser, like people are gonna figure it out, and then you're gonna lose respect. And and I think it's all about trying to be your most true the most true depiction of it you can do and then kind of knowing your limits on the on the the background of it here at the end i just want to get your general sense you've touched on it a little bit but like how did you ultimately feel about this book reading it like how did you enjoy the process i did yeah i if i had read this more leisurely i think this would be something that i was able to really cuz i i'm going to be kicking myself for things i didn't say about this book when we get off the recording yeah. you know over the next few days luckily we'll get to revisit it with the film sure. a little bit yeah yeah um I th- overall, I really enjoyed myself. I thought that it was um, just this really dark look at something that that exists, and there's the people who live their lives this way, and it's a yeah. perspective that it's a valuable one. You know, I think I think you can see how destructive this this lifestyle is, and and use it as a cautionary tale. But then at the same time, like I I like a lot of dark humor. I'm like this is the kind of thing that that hits me squarely because I can kind of see like all, while this is something that people go through, these are characters in a story. And for the sake of me reading a story, it was engaging. And I found a lot of the characters to be like reprehensible, but do things that took the story into a realm I didn't think may be possible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the, it's just interesting Surprising to blend the sure. immense tragedy with like how funny this could be at times and the ways that it captured. Like, I am fascinated by other cultures, too, and the way that it captured like this moment in time in Scotland, this time capsule yeah. for the specific group of people. Uh, so for that reason, like, I feel like I've lived in someone's skin for a little while. So I, I appreciate <laughs> it for that. Yeah. I mean, I, I also had a good time with it. Ultimately, it's not the kind of thing I would want to read all the time, um, but I have a lot of respect for it. The fact that he was able to pull it off, I think, is, is an, a, you know, a pretty stunning achievement. Um, it was difficult to read. I don't think there's any way to really sugarcoat that. And at times I found it frustrating to try and read. Um, so ultimately this isn't like a five-star book for me. This isn't like one of my favorite books I've ever read. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not something that I felt like a really deep emotional connection to because of that level of difficulty that, that the, the nature of the prose, um, introduced for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm glad I read it. I'm, I'm going to Scotland next year. At least that's the plan. I'm, my family is originally from Scotland going back, you know, hundreds of years. Um, so distantly. So it's kind of cool to read about like something that, you know, is deeply Scottish. Um, it should be interesting to, to maybe this will help me a little bit understand uh, people if they have like a thick dialect when I go over there. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I, I ultimately, I, I think I had a good time with it, it, even if it wasn't one of my favorite books I've ever read. Um, yeah. I am glad I read it. I'm going to be excited to jump into how the film can kind of capture this. So a film I've seen before, but one I'm looking forward to sort of analyzing for the podcast. Totally. And I want to see like how much of this crazy shit is in the movie and how much of it, you know, is, is different. And did they invent things? I, I have I have seen this movie in theory, barely remember it. So, yeah, also looking forward to, to revisiting. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know in the form of a rating and review on whatever app you chose to listen on. And if you're on YouTube, 
give us a like and make sure to comment your thoughts below. We like in engaging with our, our viewers in that way and, and having conversations. Um, I, I would love to hear your take on this book. When was the first time you read it? Does it hold a special place for you? Uh, and, and share why. I'd love to hear all of that. Yeah. And subscribe on there too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so make sure to connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of those at Ink to Film. We're also on Luke will tell you all the other sites. <laughs> Blue Sky. I'm on Threads. <laughs> we're on TikTok. We're, we, we're on TikTok. We've been we've been we've been sent all over the place now. Instagram, all of, all of them. Yeah, find us at Ink to Film on most of those platforms. And a quick reminder: if you wanted to support us on Patreon, it's Patreon.com/slash/InkToFilm. You can get access to our bonus episodes on there, and you can vote on future uh, quarterly suggestions like this one that that, that that we just covered. So we'd love to have you on there. Next week we will return with the Danny Boyle film. I think. Uh, Danny Boyle, looking yeah. forward to talking about that one with you, man. And until next time, keep adapting. Yeah.